KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. We just passed the one year mark for the presidency of Joe Biden, and we wanted to take stock of it. What has President Biden accomplished? Where has he fallen short? And what does it all mean for the rest of his presidency? To talk about this, we check in with Dr. Ben Berger. He is an associate professor of political science and executive director of the Lang Center for Civic and Social Responsibility at Swarthmore College. So we spoke about the first hundred days of the Biden presidency, mid-2021. As we talk now, we have just passed the one-year anniversary. So give me your thoughts. One year of Joe Biden as president of the United States. Uh, How would you categorize the first year? Would you grade it? How would you kind of break it down? It's such an interesting time, Matt, isn't it? Because if you read the news, if you listen, if you watch, you read everyone looking at this unit. It's sort of arbitrary unit of time, one year. And a lot of people are grading it. And what I think what a lot of people are doing is really grading the world, the world around them. It's a scary place right now, a wearying place, a lot of weary people. And that is very significant, I think, coloring the way that a lot of folks are looking at the Biden presidency. And so I like to try to separate out the two things. One is the world around us. And the other is what is the executive doing to try to make it better? And how are they doing relative to how other people would be doing it? And I've been thinking a lot about grades lately because I'm a professor and we just completed our first semester at Swarthmore College and lots of of high school students and college students just completed a first semester. And so I think it's worth thinking about how we generally go about grading when we look at how people are grading Joe Biden right now in in his first year. Um, The grades have not been very good, (laughs) generally speaking. Um, There was, a, I think, a poll in Politico of over 9,000 registered voters and the average grade for Biden was a C plus in that, which is not very good. Now, it was better, slightly better than Donald Trump's first year in office when he got a C minus in the same poll, the same kind of poll, same kind of people. And what's interesting to me, what has got me thinking a lot about this week is the similarity of those two grading processes in, a, in an inverted way, because Republican voters back in 2018, gave Trump about a B in his first year, and Democratic voters gave Biden a B plus in that poll in the same period. So Republicans gave Biden a D in his first year, and Democrats gave Trump an F in his his first year. So it's basically flipped. The people in the party voted their candidate pretty highly above average. People in the other voting the other party gave terrible grades. And that really represents, in a lot of ways, the the polarization that we see all the time. Um, There's a lot of bias in there. And one thing that's interesting to me is what happens when I talk to Democrats in my community who are among friends, other Democrats, they don't talk in a B-plus kind of way. I hear a lot of people actually expressing a lot of weariness and discouragement, but this uh, of these thousands of voters, actually the average grade among Democrats was a B-plus. So what's going on? Well, it may well be that Democrats know that Republicans are going to put in such harsh votes for Biden, which they did, that they need to vote pretty high in order to make it average out to something somewhat fair and to make it look better for the world. That could be happening with the the Trump Republican voters um, as well. So we should look to independents. And independent voters graded them both pretty darn harshly. 
their grades were a C for Biden and a D plus for Trump. And maybe they're just maybe they're not trying to pull the numbers up to account for somebody else. And they're just calling it the way they see it, which is like mediocre and uninspiring performances. And yet, personally, as a political scientist, not just as somebody in one party or the other, I think that the two of them inherited very different worlds in their first year in office. And so it's worth thinking about that, why they've both gotten bad grades from a, a, a fairly large swath of the American public, if you take an average of the whole thing. Why is it that they're fairly close in grade, although Donald Trump inherited not too bad of an economy when he came in, and certainly nothing like a global pandemic. And Joe Biden did inherit that, as well as this political crisis from the January 6th uh, insurrection. So they inherited very different worlds, and yet the grades are very similar in how they're coming out. And I want to suggest that teachers, when we look at the grades for a class, will often consider, first of all, how tough of a class is it? Is it an accelerated class, you know, like an AP advanced placement class? And if so, a student's grade in that particular class might count as much or more than a higher grade that somebody else gets in an easier class. So the difficulty of the class matters and extenuating circumstances matter too. Are there some circumstances that almost nobody could have overcome? If you're teaching in a pandemic and the students are all learning remotely and they're crammed into a, a study room where, where there might be other people studying as well and they can't see their fellows and stuff, maybe nobody would thrive in that situation and maybe you adjust the grades accordingly. I don't think Americans are doing that because we're so weary. And I, so when we talk about this today, it's a really interesting topic. I am going to keep those things in mind, some context. And I'm not saying it to favor one over the other. I'm saying it to encourage us all to take a step back and think about the state of the world and how we would do in this and how other possible presidential candidates would have done in this scenario. It's interesting to me. I feel like much of the criticism of Joe Biden from the left is disappointment with a focus on what hasn't gotten done, uh, that they haven't been able to get voting rights legislation, the Build Back Better plan, uh, if not dead, appears on life support, although there's some talk of breaking it up and we'll see how that how that proceeds. Do you think that Democrats got their hopes too high after winning the Georgia Senate runoffs and the 50-50 Senate still had control of the House, having the trifecta that they thought the training wheels were off and it was going to become a, a liberal paradise and going to be able to do all these things they've always wanted to do when in realist, when really... It is very, very difficult with margins this that slim. And when one of your Democratic senators is Joe Manchin from one of the most Republican states in the country, if not the most Republican state, how much do you think how Democrats look at Biden is through that lens of disappointment that he hasn't been doing able to do things that probably wasn't going to be able to do regardless? It's a great question, and I, I agree with you on that. It's been pointed out that had the Democrats, had, had Warnock and Ossoff not both won, expectations might have been very different, and maybe that actually would have been better for Biden because he could have started out with lower expectations, been encouraged to, to bargain more, to look for smaller victories. I think the difficulty with that argument is he wouldn't have gotten, Biden would not have gotten all the federal judges appointed that he has gotten. And that's actually been a big victory that could have ripple effects uh, for years if you're a Democrat. So it, it's difficult. It's one of those be careful what you wish for things. But there is no question that what you said, in my opinion, is right, that 
emboldened by the um, surprising victories in Georgia, and then going in and having majorities, although, as you said, the scarcest of majorities in both houses, there was a sense of this is now going to be a sweeping thing. People are weary of a Trump-type president. They want someone who's going to be a uniter, and people are going to come together and pass all kinds of great uh, legislation. And the mistake there was one of framing. A friend and colleague of mine at, my, at Swarthmore College, Dominic Tierney, teaches in political science, does international relations. And Dom talks about the importance of framing in foreign policies and for leaders to be able to set realistic, achievable goals. And if you surpass them, that's great. But if you framed things in a way that suggests that you're going to achieve something a lot more, and then the electorate winds up being disappointed, it can be ruinous. So the basic idea would be to underpromise and overperform. Now, of course, you can't do that in an election year. You got you to gotta promise and maybe overpromise. But once that's done, you need to set a frame. And that includes a time frame for what's realistic. So that's one thing that I think was a bummer. Uh, if, if, if I want to call it a failure of Biden, maybe. Uh, maybe. It was certainly a missed opportunity to do a better job of framing and to reiterate that early in his presidency. It's going to be a slow go. We're going to aim for these small things. We hope eventually to get to this other thing. Uh, and, and he didn't do as much of that. And so there has been much more focus on the two more recent failures than on really what were very big successes of getting the COVID relief bill and the infrastructure um, uh, bill passed, as well as the federal judges appointed. Those were really significant victories. They've been greatly overshadowed by the recent legislative stalls or failures. Yeah, and that was kind of my next question leading into if you're kind of looking at the the first year and things you would have to categorize as victory, I agree with you. I think the federal judges, and it's interesting to me, we heard so much about Donald Trump and the judges he was appointing, and we haven't heard nearly as much talk about the job Biden is doing when he has, I think he's eclipsed every modern president when it comes to people getting appointed and not just appointed, but confirmed to the federal judiciary. So I agree with you. That's a big one. Uh, The bipartisan infrastructure bill, of course, the running joke during the Trump administration was it was infrastructure week and some scandal or something would happen and it never actually happened. He was able to get it done. Uh, The COVID relief bill. I think we would have gotten a COVID relief bill back in the spring, regardless of who was president, but it was much bigger because of the Democratic majorities and Joe Biden got that done. And that brings me to what I find to kind of be what I feel like is the the tipping point of the first year when it seemed like the way the Biden administration was looked at changed to me. And it was the pullout from Afghanistan. And there was a ferocious wave of negative coverage to something that And correct me if I'm wrong, everyone knew was coming. Most people had been clamoring for for at least a decade, and it was set in motion by Donald Trump. And I just feel like the the way that the administration was looked at changed with that, and it has never kind of recovered. What are your thoughts? We did know it was coming. It's true. And it's something that Americans have said that they wanted to uh, do. happen, the U.S. to be able to uh, at some point leave and not have the resources uh, dedicated there. But 
I think there are mistakes, were mistakes that, you know, Biden has to be held accountable for. He could have renegotiated the tr- Trump's um, agreement between the U.S. and Taliban. I mean, there were a lot of concessions made to the Taliban. Now, once he didn't do that, he could have blamed Trump for that and you know, didn't do that. But that's, that was significant. I and mean, there was, would have been room for nego- renegotiation. And also, he didn't leave some kind of counterterrorism uh, presence along with NATO forces. And so it would have at least given us some kind of leverage in talks afterwards with the Taliban. So the, the abruptness of it, the uh, apparent not uh, inattention to detail of of looking after the Afghanis who were left behind, those are things that are real. And I've heard people really on the left and right bemoan those things. So just be, I, I think it's absolutely right and fair to say that this was something that was going to come. And if Biden hadn't done it at all, it would have been one more person who had said that they were going to get us out of a quagmire and not done it. Absolutely. That said, there are better and worse ways of doing things. And it seems to me that there are quite a lot of serious missteps that that given that we knew that it was coming, it wasn't like we had to prepare for it in one week, should have been uh, prepared for. I also don't think that it makes his foreign policy a total hash. There have been significant successes. He's, uh, experts who I know think that Biden has done pretty well in dealing with China and with Russia and significantly in, 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 with Europe as well. There are, there are you know, maybe less well with Europe and there are some countries and areas that he's done less well in. So it's not that he's made a hash of foreign policy. He's an experienced guy. He's put experienced people in there. But I think it's difficult to make, this is just me talking and I'm happy to listen to pushback on this, but I think it's difficult to make uh, too much good come out of that Afghanistan. I think it's going to be regarded as a debacle for years to come. I think it. I think it was a situation that there were no good answers. I think no matter how you approached it, you were you were holding a, a terrible hand. Negotiate, don't negotiate. Military, not military. You were operating with people in the Taliban who wanted to. I, I just think I don't think there was a good way to do it. I personally think it's a decision that history will look kinder on than the gen than the moment does right now. Mm-hmm. How would you would you put that in a positive column right now, the Afghanistan for the administration, or is it a negative at this point in your opinion? Is there a third possibility, which is like debacle? Because I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm <laughs> in the debacle. In that case? Dude, I don't, I don't think, I don't think negative is easy. You know, I, if you just want to talk about how it's perceived, now leave aside how history will, because it's a, you know, a valid point. It could be the case that it's looked upon better later on. If we're dealing with now how people look at it and whether it's stained or improved America's image abroad, and whether it has stained or approved Biden's ability to, to run on, well, I'm doing good foreign policy. I just think it's unquestionably negative right now. I, I, I certainly don't talk to anybody in the, either the intelligence communities or in or in the political science or diplomats or or you know citizens that, who think anything less of it than a debacle. Uh, but you know, maybe I'll be wrong. <laughs> as, what as, you, wait, as Biden said to the one reporter at the press conference, why are you such an optimist? Sarcastically, <laughs> you can say that to me about this particular thing. So what else? We've talked about the things that the administration has accomplished. If we're looking at the the other side of it, things that have left people wanting, I think the build back better not getting through is a big lost to this point. I think it was looked at as transformative legislation that could really change people's lives. 
uh, and it was kind of a slow drip of, well, they paired it back here, they paired it back here, they paired it back here, and then all of a sudden Joe Manchin says he's not going to vote for it, and that's a big one. What else would you, I think messaging overall is a problem that Democrats have had since the beginning of time. You talked about the, you know, how things were framed, and I would kind of put messaging under that umbrella as well. I see a lot of the same messaging from not necessarily the president, but the party. And I'll kind of loop it all together here that you saw Mm. during the Obama administration, you know, a lot of the same problems, a lot of kind of running from successes and not standing up for what you believe in and stuff like that, or being wishy-washy on things. Uh, Where are some other things you think have been lacking in the first year? It's interesting. You then talk about messaging. I would actually, I've said framing, you said messaging, I would put yours as the higher one. I would say messaging is the overarching one and that framing, my thing just goes underneath that. It's a type of messaging. So yours is, the, I think, the most crucial thing that the Democrats needed to do better, didn't do well, and you're right, seem to have had a really difficult time for quite a long time in doing. Um, this messaging thing, just compare to our most recent example, Donald Trump. He messaged almost constantly. Now, a lot of us thought too much. Okay, but still, you got to take a look at what he got from that. He's on Twitter. He's on TV. He's in press conferences. at rallies. He's constantly touting his and his administration's accomplishments. He's constantly ridiculing and belittling or even not just opponents, but former employees. He's constantly reminding people of his slogans. So small, digestible things. You could not escape his messaging. Now, if you didn't like him, you're just overwhelmed by that. You might try to tune it out. If you do like him, there's all kinds of great things to point to. Things are just going, going terrifically. Everything that he messaged, he framed in the most positive possible light for him. So everything he's doing is good. He would play up partial accomplishments and underperformance as if they were a full delivery of his promises. Remember, he visited the Southern Wall by Mexico And he claimed that he'd done what he promised, even though only a tiny fraction was actually built that he said was going to build. He said, well, this is what we said we were going to do, and we've done it now. And I'm not trying to pick fights with any Trump supporters. Anybody can still like him who likes him. I'm just telling folks, repeating what fact checkers have said, and they fact check Biden also, and they say where he's gone wrong, but they've attributed to Trump thousands and thousands of of falsehoods. So you can like him if you want to, but you want to deal with that particular trait. He was amazing at frequent messaging. And Biden could even just take 10% of that and would do well by it. So an example is the twin things, the success on unemployment and the perceived failure on inflation. There could be so much more messaging around this. So on the one hand, the you know, unemployment, this has been a success. It's, it's declined significantly. Um, and so that's you know a, a good thing. Um, what is it called? It's dropped to 3.9%. Uh, when he came in, it was 6.3%. So that's really significant. Now, the flip side of that is that, well, there's a lot more people in jobs and there's more people with money. And that's one of the things that's contributed to inflation along with you know pent up demand. What Biden could say is, I want credit for the unemployment. And as far as the inflation, look, you can't really attribute that to me. Critics say of Biden, critics seize the messaging day and they say of Biden, yeah, he can't take credit for unemployment because that was going to happen anyway, because that was just people who were sitting out during the pandemic and now they're coming back into jobs. 
So when we talk about grading administration, what I'm trying to look at then is, well, what are you not doing well that the other side did well, even if it might make you a worse person? And some might disagree with that approach of mine there. It's still what I'm doing. So blame the other side, because Trump did stuff for years that I mean, contributed tremendously to the deficit, huge amounts, of huge spending bills, even before COVID came in. Um, there was the um, $2.2 trillion economic stimulus bill in March of 2020. It was the largest stimulus package in U.S. history. It was 10% of the gross domestic product. Uh, the nonpartisan you know, CBO, Congressional Budget Office, has said that it'll add trillions to the deficit. He signed another you know, $1 trillion relief bill, almost a trillion dollars in December 2020. And when people have more money in their pockets and when there's been restricted supply, there's going to be a lot of more demand. And that's one thing that's going to lead to inflation. When the Federal Reserve holds down interest rates artificially low for a very long time, people are going to be able to buy houses if they qualify. And, and that's going to drive up bidding wars, which we've all seen for houses. Um, and that's also going to contribute to inflation. These things are like economics 101, even though economists seem to be saying during the Trump years and early Biden that it wasn't going to happen. So of course, Biden did things too that may have contributed to inflation, but you, you can't start inflation that quickly. It's just like Billy Joel. He didn't start the fire. <laughs> so I would say that over and over to people. I would talk about, fine, if you want to say it's transitory, say it, but basically point to all the things that people seem to like actually under Donald Trump that contributed to inflation. It doesn't happen that fast all within one year. I would say that. I would message repeatedly, you think that this particular build back better is my fault. I would not just blame Manchin and Cinema. That I think has been a big mistake among Democrats broadly. On Twitter, you see Democrats just constantly harping on these two Democrats to blame. And of course, it's frustrating if you can't have everyone together in your own party. But you can't overlook the fact that the other party is voting in lockstep 50 people to zero in the Senate. So the first relief bill was passed without a single Republican vote in Congress. That's astonishing. I would be talking about that. I would find ways to message it in very simple ways. I would say something like uh, the, the, the following. Take a look at the individual pieces that have been thwarted in the, in the, in the Build Back Better Act. And I would say something like, um, you know, if you, if you wanted cheaper drugs, if you wanted cheaper insulin, if you wanted to battle big pharma, well, guess what? The Republicans just blocked you. I would say if you want to help with climate change, if you want financial incentives to manufacturers who make clean energy technology, which means more jobs for Americans, if you want tax breaks for citizens who adopt clean energy, well, the Republicans just blocked you. I would say if you're for universal pre-K, guess what? The Republicans just blocked you. I would say if you wanted an extension of the child tax credits, that lets so many people keep food on the table for their kids, guess what? The Republicans just blocked you. That, now, again, if you're a Republican and you hate me for saying that, don't hate me. Hate, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> All I'm saying is here is that this is what has been done very effectively by Republicans. And so if you want to blame Joe Biden for certain things, and I'm totally fine with doing that, you might well blame Joe Biden for missing these opportunities that his opponents have utilized very well to constantly blame the other side because Republicans right now don't need to worry about governing. They get to campaign all, all last year and all next year. 
because they're not in power. So it's very easy in that way. The Democrats are trying desperately to get things passed. They're not out there campaigning. It's going to get harder to legislate now in the next year because they're going to have to start going and, and, and campaigning. So I would just, I would do that. So I, I actually mark as maybe his biggest failure, single biggest thing, the category of a failed opportunity of messaging. It doesn't make him a bad person, it might make him a better person, but those being a really good person and a good president don't always go together, right? And it might not make for the fairest, most honest kind of thing, but we're talking about politics. We're talking about what succeeds. And if you believe that what you're doing is going to lead to good results for the larger country eventually, then we're not talking about, you know, doing something terrible. We're just talking about beating a horse here or beating a metaphorical, you know, beating a horse would be terrible, <laughs> beating a metaphorical horse doing it over and over again with this messaging, blame the other side and tell specifically in small cogent ways, just what things they've done that have, that have uh, uh, cost regular Americans opportunities. I also think that the administration has been hurt by the Omicron surge in the idea that we've seen a lot in the last, you know, as we're talking here, third week of January, the last six, eight weeks, we've seen a lot of the problems that we saw in March and April of 2020, not being able to get tested and and stuff like that. I remember uh, now this, to be fair, it was before the Omicron surge, but Jen Psaki, the press secretary, a question came up about tests and she said something snarky to the effect of what do we want to you want me to send a test to every person in America? <laughs> well, yes, like <laughs> the fact that. We still haven't gotten testing right is a failure on everybody's part. But I think the the Omicron surge is probably going to happen simply because we haven't been able to vaccinate the world. And here in this country, we've got a about a third of the country that just refuses to do it. And it's going to let the virus continue to circulate. But I think a lot of the the problems of the last six weeks, because one of the big things for Joe Biden was going to be able to tackle covid and i think did a great job with the vaccine rollout did you know the first covid bill but i think this omicron surge fair unfair you talk about its politics uh has also hurt them uh because it has like i said brought back problems that we we just haven't gotten right yes uh and that's been especially disappointing to some Democrats who thought, well, at least now one of ours is in power who respects scientists, who respects the CDC, wasn't going to fight with Anthony Fauci, and now things are going to go in the right direction. Plus, we've got you know a vaccine coming out, and it hasn't worked out that way. And then the weariness. And come on, who among us is not just COVID weary, pandemic weary? Of course, we want things to go back to the way things were. And it's easy then to be mad at whomever is out there in power who is supposed to be in charge of these things. And yet nobody, there's not a place in the world that's doing amazingly well. The failures I think that Biden has had is, I mean, he's right to, to key on the vaccine, but he did it too much. And this is something that I think can be said of a lot of uh, his failures, which is to say he saw the right thing, but saw it too late. So he did eventually bring out the testing stuff. We're getting tests available now. It's, it's far too late. They've been available in Europe for quite some time in a need. Now, there were shortages in Europe around Christmas time too. Europe was no place has been immune to bad things happening, but he did that too late. You're right too about there's you know, the part that's vaccine resistant of the country that's going to allow um, it to keep on circulating. Some people have said, oh, he should have focused not just on tests, 
put on masks. I think that kind of misses the point because even if the masks are available, some people don't want to wear them. And without getting into whether they should or shouldn't, it's just if they're not going to, there's enough masks. Um, and so maybe they all need K95 masks, but if even people wore just decent masks and everybody wore them, it'd be better as far as the spread goes. So yes, I think there have been um, failures, but also, you know, some decent successes. I mean, the marshalling of resources to get vaccines out there, that was pretty freaking impressive. And if we had a country that if, let's put it this way, if President Trump had decided with his popularity among his base and among others too, to say, you know what? There's a war right now and it's like World War II and a good patriot, it's a war against COVID. And a good patriot goes out and gets vaccinated, wears masks, and we can do this together. The kind of talk of personal sacrifice that was made during World War II, when we had victory gardens, we had meatless days of the week, there was rationing. And for the most part, people got behind it. And it wasn't seen as a partisan thing. One way. If that had been their response, and then on the heels of that, a Democratic president came in and you had a lot of people willing to get vaccinations, it, this could be a very different scenario. And so that's a shame. It's a shame that we're living in the particular kind of divided world that we are. But Biden knew that we were. He knew that we were. And so I do think it's got to be considered a failure that he went so hard on the vaccine and not on other other measures like testing. And my final question is, I'm, I'm running out of time here. Looking ahead to the midterms, the second year, if inflation stabilizes and retreats a bit, and if I don't, COVID's not going away, but if it can after this Omicron surge and he can get it under control, I think there's a window for him to regain uh, popularity, regain footing. What say you? Yes. And those particular things are, it's what you mentioned earlier, Matt. It's it's breaking apart um, Build Back Better. And he actually alluded to this when kind of pushed into it in the press conference. First, he said, no, we're going to keep this bill together. But when he was pressed on it, he, he said what a number of people have called upon him to do. Why don't you take out some of the things that are popular anyhow and just get them passed? Our infrastructure got some by some bipartisan support. So you could do that with the drug relief. Um, and there are, there are diabetics in every state. So you could get that done, that, that accomplished. You might be able to get um, some of the clean technology. Manchin seems to be not against clean energy technology as long as it doesn't punish uh, things like you know coal companies and all. I would go for the smaller victories, break them out, tout them, and then talk as well about the other parties intransigence, not be, not be afraid to do that, and set realistic goals. But the last point I would make is I would say to the American people, look, if you are swing, if you could go Republican, you could go Democratic, of course, it's your prerogative to punish who you see as the party in power. But let me just tell you something. We've not had a chance. And you know we haven't had a chance. Take a look at the scenario that we faced. It's very difficult when not a single person in the other party is voting for your thing. So give us a chance. Instead of swinging the other way Republican, I say this as Biden, as a Democrat now, um, give us a chance. Vote for the Democrat. Let us in there for two, three years, all right, uh, two years, and let's see what we can do. And if after that you still want to vote against us, fine, but at least give it a fair shake. I think that kind of language of saying, if you go back and forth every other year, you're never going to accomplish anything, um, that appeals to people's logic, all right, and also their sense of fairness, I think, as well. I would do that as well as giving you something to build with by what you had said of, of breaking out the pieces of, of Build Back Better and taking smaller victories. 
What about you? What's an answer for you? What's a what's a some way to get back a last piece? Oh, to, I, to I get think it's hope? very I think it's very simple. I think if if COVID, like I said, is under control, if we are even back to where we were at the beginning of the summer, where there was this positivity and this anticipation that we were through the worst of it, if you can get back to that and if inflation retreats, I think the numbers almost reflexively will go up for his administration and for the Democrats in general. But I think his favorables will go up because I think those are the things right in front of people and uh, they'll be able to take wins on that. Yes, it is. Ha- it's happened. It's happened with Reagan. It's happened with Clinton, um, It uh, where it happened in reverse with George H.W. Bush, how quickly an economic upturn or downturn can, even without the president having done anything, can make a giant difference in the public perceptions and can cast a different light on the presidency. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 